This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thank you for being with us as we start another week of programs. Quick reminder that any story you hear can be found at ozarksatlarge.com, and you can always listen to us on your schedule by subscribing to the free Ozarks at Large podcast found wherever you are already find podcasts. First today, the Arkansas International Magazine, published since 2016 by the University of Arkansas Creative Writing and Translation Program, is hosting its inaugural author for its Writers at Risk residency program. Uchenna Woke is a Nigerian-born novelist who had to leave his home with his wife, Philomenia, because of ethnic violence. The program is underway with aid from a University of Arkansas Chancellor's Grant. Last week, we invited him, along with Padma Viswanathan, a professor of creative writing at the University of Arkansas, to come to the Carver Center for Public Radio. Padma's work helped lead to the development of the Writers at Risk residency program here. She says she first started thinking about such a program when she moved to Fayetteville 15 years ago, but wasn't yet affiliated with the university. Four four and a half years ago, I received a grant from the Chancellor's Fund for the Arts and Humanities to seed this program. And it was a wonderful, generous grant to get things started. But then, as you say, the pandemic intervened and I had a fellowship abroad. And so finally, about two years ago, I started planning in earnest. How did the program and... our visiting writer, Connect. Well, Uchenna is here as a fellow of the Artist Protection Fund of the International Institute of Education. So they awarded him one of their Writer at Risk fellowships. And they they award across disciplines. So they um, sponsor um, visual artists. They sponsor musicians. And so Uchenna had been recommended on the basis of his work. He's had several prestigious other fellowships at the McDowell um, Center and also the Vermont Studio Center. So he already was becoming a known quantity, uh, even while in Nigeria, and then faced these difficult circumstances. So I found out about the Artist Protection Fund just about a year, year and a half ago and started talking to them about the possibility of their sponsoring or placing, I should say, placing a a writer with us. So I had the framework for it and they, because they do all of this selection and vetting and they also um, pay an artist's stipend and also travel costs and assist so much with the logistics of visa and travel, it was a very natural partnership and they were the ones who recommended Uchenna to us and then we jumped at, at the chance once we read his, his work, we just realized we had really lucked out in this circumstance. Uchenna, you grew up in, born and I believe grew up in rural Nigeria, yes, right? Of course. Did writing, writing fiction, was that something that you had wanted to do throughout your childhood or young adult life? Yeah, I've always wanted to write, uh, even though I, I, I didn't have uh, the opportunity at the early stage because um, because of circumstances. Um, I passed through a lot of deprivations uh, as a child, uh, coming from uh, a very poor family, uh, peasants. I had peasants for parents. 
uh, who didn't know the value of education, who didn't have money to send me to school, but I have always wanted to write. I read a lot of things, things that I could get my hands on, from newspapers to novels, anything that I could get my hands on. I guess that was what inspired me to begin to want to write. Do you remember a particular writer or book or series, collection of books that inspired you? Yeah, I I had read Chinua Achebe's uh, Things Fall Apart uh, mm-hmm. when I, I was quite young and it inspired me. Yeah, it's passed me a lot. I've read almost all his novels. And then um, later on, Chimama Nangozi Adiche, they are put from my country. Yeah, and then uh, there was this uh, Peseta series. It was called Peseta series in Nigeria that published a lot of novels. And uh, um, I, I read some of their novels. What will happen over the course of Uchina's time here? What have you, do you have plans? Do you... Yeah. Um, so the main thing Uchenna is required to do while here is to just write at his own leisure and pace. That's that's the reason that he's here is to be able to just um, work on this book that he has coming out next summer. And there's already another manuscript that is, um, I think I'm allowed to say, very well underway. So yeah, so one of the other developments with this program is that uh, we've entered into a partnership with the Arkansas International Magazine. Now, this is a magazine that was founded by my husband, Jeff Brock, who is a professor of poetry and translation in the creative writing program at the U of A. And he founded this magazine that comes out twice a year that's intended to bring Arkansas into conversation with literature around the world. So it's a beautifully produced, perfect bound magazine, really largely um, produced from start to finish by our grad students each semester that's a faculty mentor involved. So um, my colleagues, Brian Hurt, Rebecca Gale Howell, Davis McCombs, they've all taken turns with this, but really the graduate students are the aesthetic force behind it. And But who we publish? We publish um, writers from around the world. And so the idea is now we've um, joined under their 501c3. Our Writer at Risk program has been renamed the Arkansas International Writer at Risk Residency Program. And our writers, starting with Uchenna, will be involved in this way. In the fall, uh, the magazine hopes to publish an excerpt or some piece of Uchenna's writing. And then for the spring, he will be curating for us a folio of Nigerian writers to be published in the magazine, which is all of which is extremely exciting and feel, feels really like a, a dynamic collaboration with the magazine. Well, that's mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uchenna, I want to ask you about The Liquid Eye of the Moon. Oh, wow. Your first novel. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's, and correct me if I'm mistaken here, okay. it's about a young man, yeah. teenager, yeah. finding his way yeah. in Nigeria. Yeah. Um, what else should we know about it? Oh, well, the, the liquid eye for moon, like you said, is a coming of age story. It's a tale of um, human taboo in, uh, in, in the Nigerian language, Nigerian Igbo language. Uh, we call it Uhuma. Uhuma. Yeah, the liquid eye of women examines uh, uh, the, the, the lot of the child in Iboland, a child who belongs to this caste. It examines his education, uh, his acceptability in society. That's what the liquid eye of women examines. Uhuma is a caste, 
uh, an ancient caste system that dates back to an era when Igbo communities were uh, governed by the laws of the earth. In the Nigerian Igbo language, we call it Wadinani. Uh, people who committed sacrilege were cast away to avoid the wrath of the earth deity from falling on others who are innocent. Uh, uh, hence, we have the Uhuma and the Diala uh, social groups. Yeah, um, that is a sense of inferiority uh, 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 that comes with belonging to the Ohuma caste. Uh, uh, Ohuma caste, yes. And um, because they are, uh, they have limited acceptance. Yeah, uh, they must live in isolation and are, are used as slaves in farming fields. Yeah, they are denied uh, land and chieftaincy titles. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, it is considered a taboo for an Uhuma to be taken for marriage by a Diala. Uh, hence, uh, young people are known to have committed suicide because they were not allowed to pursue their romantic relationship across their caste. So the liquid eye of a moon breaks silence on this hidden and dangerous contemporary caste system. Yeah, I have hope that um, as we bring up conversations about this system that is still present in some societies, even though slavery was abolished many years ago. Yeah. Would this be a controversial subject to write about or publish in Nigeria? Mm, no. No. It wouldn't be a controversial. Uh, but then uh, people, people uh, it's there. People pretend that it's not there, but it's there. It's there. They don't want to talk about it, but it's there. We all know it's there, but we all are reluctant to talk about it. Yeah, and then I'm a bold to write about it. I have two novelists in front of me. Can novelists talk to each other about the art of writing the novel, the frustrations or the successes? Do you have a language, or is it different for every novelist? <laughs> I imagine it's different for every, well, for every novelist and for every novel, but... I, I love to talk to other writers about the difficulties and charms. I mean, I, I prefer to talk to other writers about their books mm -hmm. <laughs> instead yeah. of about right. my own, you know. Uh, but I, I love it when I've, you know, I, I read a piece of Uchenna's novel that had been published as a short story uh, right around the time that you came here. I had read other pieces before you came here, Chenna, and then after that. And I remember we had that long walk from the university. We were running errands, and I really wanted to ask about some of the uh, some of the visual figures, which I found really arresting. I wanted to ask about what was sort of... There are a lot of aspects of it that seemed based in folklore and spirituality and also in, in this magic geography. And so I was very curious, having written in a somewhat magical realist vein for my own first novel, how he was making those choices and blends what came from reality, what came from his own imagination. What, and so well, that was a, a very interesting conversation <laughs> from my point of view. I don't know how you felt. <laughs> oh, well... Um Writing, writing for me, uh, and what a writer writes depends on uh, uh, the genre. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I like to classify my writing as literary mm -hmm. fiction. Mm -hmm. And I know some people write, um, 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 help me. Well, science one, right? fiction, science or fiction, crime fiction, mystery, or yeah, like right. mystery right. And, yeah. And, and, and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
I, I can only talk about literary fiction. I agree. That's what me I too. Yeah, and absolutely. maybe because, like I said earlier, Chin, oh, Chin Wachev inspired me a lot and he writes literary fiction. Yeah. Maybe that's why I write literary fiction. Yeah, I want to talk about my stay here. Yeah, this opportunity that was given to me uh, by the Artist Protection Fund and, of course, the Atkins International Writer at Risk program, which I am the first, I am the inaugural writer at risk. Yeah, I'm proud to be the inaugural writer at risk. And I want to say that this is a very great opportunity for me as a writer. I have copious time to write and uh, I have the peace of mind, which was something I did not have back home. I have everything I need to achieve whatever I, I want to achieve as a writer in this program. And then I want to thank uh, 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 the people that made it possible. Uh, yeah, especially Padma Viswanathan here with me, yeah, for making this possible. And then for, for making it uh, very convenient for me here. Yeah, it's very convenient. I'm here with my, my, my wife, Philomena, and uh, she has just made it very convenient for us. It's as if we've been here for years. Well, we have just been here for a couple of weeks. So I want to thank her. I want to thank Jeff Brack, my husband, and uh, all the people, uh, host of all the friends. We've met so many friends and just, but they all came through her. So I, I want to say thank you to all of these people. Uchenna Woke is a Nigerian-born novelist who had to leave his home and is the inaugural author in the Writers at Risk residency program hosted by the Arkansas International Magazine. Padma Viswanathan, a professor of Korean writing at the University of Arkansas, was also with us for that visit. The Momentary in Benville presents Grammy Award-winning country band Brothers Osborne, Saturday, July 15th, live outdoors on the Momentary Green. This concert is part of the Momentary's Live on the Green concert series. Brothers Osborne tickets on sale now at themomentary.org. Historic Cane Hill presents Nyloke and Beyond, 20th Century Swirl Art Pottery, now through July 8th. This exhibition features the swirled mission wear and pieces inspired by the Arkansas-made Nyloke Pottery. The Historic Cane Hill Gallery is open Thursday through Saturday, 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. and by appointment. More at historiccanehillar.com. Ahead this hour on Ozarks at Large, three Miss Arkansas winners have become Miss America. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History will once again deliver some past and current conversations. I feel like uh, pageants are not necessarily, they're not a great thing for young women. I mean, I know a lot of people take advantage of it, and I'm very grateful to uh, what I was given through the systems, but I think... um, the objectification of women. I mean, it just sort of started that process for me. That's later on today's Ozarks at Large. On the next episode of The Beloved Community, host Chris Seawood sits down with Dr. Ricky Booker, DEI thought leader and opinion columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, to discuss the diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape, its necessity, history, and ongoing placement in the sphere of race relations in Arkansas and beyond. The DEI positions uh, came out of the civil rights movement. Um, it started as diversity, just getting people who looked differently, specifically black folks, specifically brown folks, specifically women into the workforce. Now it is diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, and so many other things because mm-hmm. it's really leaning into um, systems of oppression.
Episode 2 of The Beloved Community. Listen for free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. President Biden is meeting again with Republican leadership in an attempt to avoid a default on the nation's debt. In an interview with KARK Channel 4's Capital View, Arkansas Republican Congressman French Hill, representing Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District, said progress is being made in discussions about raising the debt ceiling. He said the discussions have been more productive because the president has sent officials from the Office of Management and Budget to meet with GOP leadership. Congressman Hill says the demands from Republicans are not as dramatic as Democrats have made them seem. What we're proposing is that we not do the $600 billion of Joe Biden's write off student loan debt, which the Congress has not authorized, that we claw back all COVID relief money that was appropriated but not spent. Those are the two big savings uh, plans. And then we propose to uh, remove some of the environmental uh, deductions and proposals that were in the Inflation Reduction Act. According to Politico, Congressman Hill was chosen as an advisor by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to help him with debt ceiling negotiations. Over the weekend, President Biden ended his trip to Asia earlier than planned in order to discuss the debt ceiling with Congressman McCarthy. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned lawmakers that if the debt ceiling isn't raised by early June, then the United States would be unable to pay its debts. An Arkansas economist fears that if a deal in Washington isn't reached on the debt ceiling by the deadline, many people in the state could lose their jobs. Economist Gary Latinich is a former professor at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro and told Jonesboro TV station KAIT that if Social Security, food stamps and other government programs are halted, then it could have a ripple effect on local businesses. Since you don't spend the money you would have spent at the local store, they don't have. They lay off workers and therefore money they would have spent. It's a multiplier effect. One job loss will create, ultimately create three or four job losses down the road. The public policy think tank Third Way estimates that a default could lead to three million job losses. They also say that it could also lead to an increase in mortgage costs and the national debt because of higher interest rates. The Razorback softball season is over. Oregon defeated Arkansas yesterday in the Fayetteville Regional. The win propels Oregon into the Super Regional round and ends the Razorback softball season. And the Arkansas baseball team will begin postseason play later this week. Arkansas shared the regular season SEC championship with Florida and will be the number two seed in the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Arkansas's first game will be Wednesday against the winner of tomorrow's Tennessee Texas A&M game. I think Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, no matter your age, you probably at least casually recognize what we just heard. Well, you know that song, maybe not the person singing, if you're our age ish, mm-hmm. yes, uh, you would know that as Burt Parks. That's the only thing I ever knew him for as a kid, but singing the Miss America song. He would host the broadcast every year. I don't know what he did the rest of the year, but we're going to talk about Miss America specifically three generations of Miss America 
because they were from Arkansas. They were former Miss Arkansas who became Miss America. Donna Axum in the yes. mid-60s. 64. Elizabeth Ward in the early 80s. 82. And Savvy Shields not that long ago. Right. That was in 2017. So let's just profile each one in chronological order. Okay. How's that? Fine with me. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with Donna Axum. Now, unfortunately, Donna Donna Axum Whit- Whitworth uh, passed away in 2018, but as the Prior Center does, uh, we do extensive interviews with Arkansans, and she was one of them. So we have an extensive interview with Donna Axum from 2007. She spoke to Scott Lunsford, and uh, you can view that entire interview on our website, at the Prior Center website. But um, let's hear her crowning from 1964. Miss Arkansas is Miss America of 1964. America, we're mighty proud of you, Donna. Thank you, Mr. Parks. It's certainly a deep honor and a great responsibility. Donna Axum, Miss Arkansas, becoming Miss America in 1964, uh, 59 years ago. And now let's hear a bit from that long-term yes. interview. Yes, and she talks about, you know, the, the moment she won, and she remembers it like it was yesterday. As they peeled off the the runner-ups, they left, and the chair was taken away, and I was sitting there with Miss District of Columbia, my first runner-up. We had uh, both worn the same gown. She had a a gold gown like mine. We both had the same swimsuit, and we had sung the same song, Isla Paris. And there we sat, holding hands, as they do, like this. And so many people have said, what was it like when you heard your name called out. And it was like the, the flashback of all that many years of training and working and preparation and how proud I was to be representing Arkansas and the University of Arkansas. I'd tear up when I say this. Well, But it was just the greatest moment for, uh, for my family and for my people. My people were Arkansas. Also in that interview, she talks a bit about how she decided to do what she wanted to do. That's right. Um, and, and that sort of uh, was her part of her praise for the pageant system, as they call it. But um, it actually did give her a start in the career that she loved. I think Mother and Daddy were, were always supportive of uh, what I wanted to do, particularly in the performing arts areas and and saw that as an appropriate outlet uh, for my talent, even competing in Miss America competitions. Um, But I sort of, in their minds, had avant-garde type of ideas like this emerging industry called television. Mm -hmm. Mother always said, now you need to go to college and uh, get a degree in secretarial science or become a school teacher or a nurse. Mm -hmm. And in her mind, uh, those were the only three categories that women could excel in. Mm-hmm. And probably she was right back in those days, and mm-hmm. that was in the you know, 50s, early 60s. Um, but I was more interested in a television, and as I started winning some of these early pageant titles, I would be on the Little Rock stations. Mm-hmm. I was just fascinated by television. 
And so when I decided to go to the University of Arkansas, I chose radio, television, film, speech and drama, and that was the combination of the, of the degree. And uh, sort of charted my own path, much to mother and daddy's chagrin. She was the first ever host of Good Morning Arkansas, which followed Good Morning America. It was a KTV local show. And she did that in the late 70s and, and early 80s. Uh, she was also heavily involved in public affairs and community affairs and fundraising. And here's just a little clip of uh, a KTV program that she hosted about the goodwill. Good evening, everyone. I'm Donna Axum, and we're so pleased that you joined us tonight for a very exciting story. It's the story about how Goodwill Industries of Arkansas has changed the lives of hundreds of our fellow Arkansans. All right, that's Donna Axum, who was Crown Miss America in 1964. Let's move into the 1980s. In 1982, Elizabeth Ward. Uh, right. She was Miss Arkansas in 1981. And, well, here's an archive report from KETV's Leslie Doubleday uh, on... Elizabeth Ward's crowning as Miss Arkansas. The new Miss Arkansas is 20-year-old Elizabeth Ward of Russellville. Miss Ward is 5 feet 8 and a half inches tall and weighs 129 pounds. She won the swimsuit competition Friday night. She was also first runner-up to Miss Arkansas 1980, Lynn Cola Sullivan. Elizabeth Ward attends Arkansas Tech in Russellville. She hopes to go on to the University of Arkansas to study law. Miss Ward, who studied piano for nine years and voice for two years, saying, you're going to hear from me and don't rain on my... Really problematic that that report starts with her height and weight, right? Yeah. That's weird. It, well, it was almost like uh, describing some sort of... Yeah. Um, criminal. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, it does... Look, it does point at some of the, in my view, some of the big problems with this whole environment of pageantry. Right. Um, in some some people's view. And right. it was also, in this is what I found, um, and I talked to all three. Um, you know, I knew Donna, mm -hmm. and um, I spoke to both Elizabeth and coming up, Savvy. But I... I, I found three generations, and there's a difference in the way I think the pageants were viewed uh, in these different generations, and, and it was like speaking to anyone of, you know, that are 20, 30 years right. apart. Different outlooks uh, on life, mm -hmm. and uh, especially this type of pageant, and you'll hear this. Uh, coming up, I talked to Elizabeth Grayson, right? Uh, Elizabeth Ward Grayson, uh, last week at her film production office in California. She's moved out to California, and she's a former actress and now a documentary uh, film director. And she talked first about the benefits of being involved in pageants. I was, you know, a small town girl, and it afforded me the opportunity to travel over, you know, 200,000 miles in that one year alone. And I got to see most of the United States, and I'm not sure that anything like that would have ever happened to me uh, otherwise. And I think that was great for me. 
um, it sort of changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do. I was an accounting major. I planned to go to law school at the time. And after a year of performing pretty much every day, this is when Miss America was, you know, in the early 80s, it was high flying. There was lots of money, big sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I I was booked every day, uh, every day of my life. And um, I was performing every day on stage. So I kind of got that performance bug. And after I took a little time off, after that year was over, I decided to move to New York. And that's where um, the scholarship money that I that I won from Miss America, it afforded me to, you know, I was able to move to to the city and to enroll in all sorts of classes, acting classes, photography classes. Um, so that part of it, education-wise, was um, very beneficial. Life education and just, you know, seeing a, a wider angle lens on the world. All right. Benefits, but? Well, yeah, she um, immediately uh, spoke of some of the drawbacks and – it was kind of ironic that um, the benefits that it afforded her uh, later became drawbacks. Well, it's very interesting because when I moved out to L.A. after studying um, in New York, um, I never had Miss America on my resume because it was such a detriment to uh, walk into a room with people knowing that about you if you're an actor because you're, you know, you're usually entering a room trying to be a character. So if they know that about you, then it was it was you know very difficult to, it, such especially at that time it was such an iconic image, so they had to sort of sift through that before they could get to me as a person or me as an actor or me as a character. So it was never on my resume. So in a way, <clears throat> it didn't help me with acting career. Um, mm-hmm. I would usually spring that little fact on people once I'd get a job and I may, might be sitting in the makeup chair getting ready to go on. And of course, it was a very kitschy sort of surprise for people. And then it was fun, but it would never helped me actually get a job. And let's continue uh, with another portion from your conversation with Elizabeth Grayson that's really telling. That's true. These were a little harsher words. Um, she did tell me that, um, you know, as she mentioned, she was from a small town and uh, it opened up the world to her, basically. And I asked her about the influence on her life as a, you know, as a child. And she said that she was only involved in pageants for two and a half years, Hmm. which would have meant one year as Miss Arkansas, one year as Miss America. So she did not, she was not one of these children uh, with a pageant mom that, that was, was up there since she was five. Um, As a matter of fact, she was discovered uh, by a man named Randy Dimmitt mm-hmm. from Russellville, who owned a clothing store, who was very involved with the pageants, and he discovered her at the Whataburger Felters. in Russellville. Yes, yeah. she was going to school at Arkansas Tech, and he came in. He said there was a spot in a pageant, uh, Miss White River, and was wondering if she could she could do it and she did and she won and then she won and then she won again but she does not have fond memories or um, feels that um, pageants may not be a good thing for uh, 
young people. Yes. I feel like uh, pageants are not necessarily, they're not a great thing for young women. I mean, I know a lot of people take advantage of it, and I'm very grateful to uh, what I was given through the systems, but I think um, the objectification of women, I mean, it just sort of started that process for me, um, you know, year, 10 years later, I ended up kind of objectifying myself, doing Playboy, and I don't know, it's taken me a long time to sort through all of the, the pros and cons of being exposed to that sort of competition with women and uh, being objectified and doing it to myself, and, you know, it's been, it's been a process. So it's good in many ways, and it was bad in many ways, and it's taken me a lot of time to recover from aspects of it. So you heard her talking about objectifying herself. Mm-hmm. She's referring to uh, posing in Playboy in 1992, uh, which did give her a lot of exposure, um, a lot of ink. Publicity. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it was also that year that she snagged a recurring role in the USA Network series Highlander, mm. which was on the air for six seasons. Now she's, like I said, a documentary filmmaker, and she's actually working on a film on Lee Merriweather. Do you remember her? The I actress? do. She was a Miss America. That's right. Okay, so you want to go to the, the next generation. Yes. And the new Miss America is Miss Arkansas. Savvy Shields. Savvy Shields. Savvy Shields Wolf uh, is the daughter of our former boss, Todd Shields. Who's now chancellor at Arkansas State University. That's correct. She's married, living in New York, and I spoke to her last week. Now, she has a very positive outlook, um, and it may have to do with the amount of time that, you know— Elizabeth Ward had been away from it, mm-hmm. um, but she is still very involved, savvy is, uh, with the pageants and uh, plans to come back this year for the Miss Arkansas pageant. But here are some of the takeaways that Savvy had. So one of the biggest things that I gained from the system was an entirely newfound sense of self and sense of confidence. The amount of work that it takes to uh, not just prepare, but, but to compete and then to do the job is, is amazing. And the skills that I attained from that career, I'll, I'll never be able to, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else from learning to public speak on, on a whim, learning to put myself in positions that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable, but then I would, you know, it, it's really amazing how what we perceive as our limitations really are just are just guidelines that our fear sets in place. But I think one of the biggest things that I learned from competing in pageants was the newfound sense of, of confidence and an ability to kind of back the ambition that I had with a sense of purpose. Well, we talked earlier about Donna Axum, and, you know, she was the first of the three to be crowned uh, Miss America. And she was always a strong supporter of the pageants. I mean, I saw her, KATV was the pageant station, the Miss Arkansas station. And so I would spend time in Hot Springs uh, when the pageant was going on. And 
she was always there. Donna was always there behind the scenes helping out. And as a matter of fact, uh, Elizabeth Grayson said that Donna had coached her when she was going in. And um, she actually had some advice for Savvy Shields, who had just been crowned. She'd been at it for about a month and seemed overwhelmed at the time and, and talked to Donna about it. And then she goes, but no matter what you do, make sure you bring it all back to Arkansas. And that was her piece of advice. Everything, and even when I called her, you know, multiple times during the year to ask her for, for more pieces of advice, she would say, what are you doing to bring it back to Arkansas? What are you doing to bring it back to the state? And I just, it was such an amazing thing that kept me, kept in my life, not just when I was Miss America, but, but far beyond that as well, thinking of things of, you know, I'm the person I am today, and I don't believe I would have become Miss America if I had come from a different state. I think that the fact that I was from Arkansas and it was the Arkansas delegation and the people of Arkansas that were loving on me so well when I was competing is the reason why everything happened the way that it did. Did you at all, because Savvy Shields, you know, it's still within four or five years since she has had her reign as Miss Camarillo, did you ask her also about, you know, some of the things Elizabeth Grayson had to say about her reserv- deep reservations? Yes, and she couldn't disagree more. Mm. Um she was had you know strongly defended uh, the system, and um, you know I asked her, "What do you say to people who think it's sexist or have disparaging remarks about how women are treated?" And this was her response: "Have you met someone competing in pageants? Have you asked them what all they have done for their community? Have you asked them about?" their scholarship money? Have you asked them what Miss America even started with? Have you known or are you aware that it's the largest scholarship giving organization towards women? (laughs) Are you aware that it started the exact same year women's suffrage? Not against it, but in line with it. Uh, I would say, you know, so much of it, and that goes to say for any stereotype, so much of it is can be combated just by just by meeting someone and talking and hearing a point of view and a story that's not your own. Let's me bring up that just a couple of days ago, Randy, uh, the current Miss Arkansas, Ebony Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, was in this studio sitting where you are, and we talked about the pageant, what it's meant for her, why she got involved. Um, what did she say? Well, I mean, she is the reigning, you know, current right. Miss Arkansas, and, and she thinks it's interesting because, and we'll hear this conversation later this week on Ozarks at Large, she was motivated to be, to, enter the pageant world because a former Miss Arkansas came to her school. She went K through 12 in Harrison School. Mm-hmm. She and her siblings, the only children of color in the school district at the time, of a Miss Arkansas, and I'm forgetting her name now, who was also uh, a black woman, came and spoke, and that really inspired... It's probably Elise Eadie. It could have been. Right. That inspired Ebony, and as she points out, you know... Harrison has had some god awful billboards up, yes. you know about mm-hmm. white race and everything. And as she has pointed out, one of those very billboards that used to have the white supremacy message now has an image of her, a young, you know, twenty six year old black woman who is Miss Arkansas, and it says Harrison's first Miss Arkansas. And so she says it was the Miss Arkansas pageant that allowed her 
to be an image on this billboard that formerly was about white supremacy. And she hopes she's an inspiration to children of all kinds. We'll hear that conversation. So, you know, I think I think it's understandable if you pull back to have very mixed emotions about the pageant syndrome uh, system. And maybe it has changed. I don't know. Well, I think, uh, of course, it's changed. Yeah. And um, it's as different to each contestant or each winner uh, as the individual themselves, I believe. And talking to three generations, uh, it's very apparent. So, okay, you wanted to close out with um, yes. the Miss America pageant well, from 64? Uh, yes, this is the uh, coverage of the, uh, the broadcast of the crowning of Donna Axum. This was the pageant she was in. And so we're going to hear the way they closed that program. There were three hosts, all former Miss Americas. There was Marilyn Vandiver, mm-hmm. who was Miss America 1958, Jackie Mercer, 1949, and B.B. Shop, 1948. And so I guess we can say goodbye with them. I'm sure that wherever Miss America travels during the exciting year ahead, her loveliness will be surrounded and appreciated as it is tonight. Well, the reign of Miss America 1964 begins, and our pleasant duties ends. Marilyn, it's been a delightful evening with you. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, night, Marilyn. Good night, Bibi and Jackie. And from the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City, good night, everyone, until next year. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History visits us almost every Monday with archives. You can learn much more about the Pryor Center by just putting in Pryor Center to a search engine. And tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we'll continue a series about maternal health in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith has that report for us on a Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. mysterious songs from one of the band's most lauded albums, references an Arkansas town even most Arkansasers have never heard of. The song Caledonia Mission appears on side one of the band's Capitol Records debut, released in 1968 and called Music from Big Pink. The album initially gained attention because Bob Dylan co-wrote a few tracks. Big Pink was the name of the house the members of the band shared in West Saugerties, New York, where they worked together on songs for their own group as well as with Dylan during his post-motorcycle accident period of retreating from the spotlight. The version heard here is an early song sketch of Caledonia Mission, not on the album. I can't get to you from the garden. No, it's always love by the magistrate. The members of the band originally got together as the backup group for Ronnie Hawkins of Madison County. They were all from rural Canada, except for Levon Helm, who was from rural southeast Arkansas, near Marvel, in Turkey Scratch in Phillips County. The Arkansas town mentioned in the last verse of the song Caledonia Mission is also in Phillips County, the unincorporated community of Modoc. Named for the Native American tribe, Modoc is in South Phillips County near Elaine. Modoc isn't recognized by the U.S. Census Bureau or by music fans who mostly think it's a fictional place, but Modoc, Arkansas and its mission walls loom large in band mythology. You know I-
to Ronnie Hawkins, that one about Caledonia Mission and being surrounded by the Mounties, that was one time they got busted at the border. The drug bust happened when the band was still called Levon and the Hawks. Due to their association with Hawkins, Levon and the Hawks were pretty big in Canada, especially Toronto, and the incident made headlines. It was just before they joined forces with Bob Dylan. In his autobiography, Levon Helm said the song Caledonia Mission alluded to the little problem with the law we'd had a few years earlier. Alluded to is right. Fans have tried to parse the lyrics sung by Richard Manuel and Rick Danko like the tea leaves mentioned in the first verse to little avail. Between a watchman, a hexagram, and a garden gate, the most concrete reference in the song is to a place most don't realize actually exists. Modoc, Arkansas, 1972's live album Rock of Ages, changes the lyric from down in Modoc, Arkansas to on a riverbank in Caledonia. The song Caledonia Mission largely left set lists of the band shows through the 1970s even as the band solidified its reputation as one of the premier groups of the Woodstock era. Its debut music from Big Pink became known as a touchstone, influencing the likes of George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Elvis Costello, the American alt-country scene of the 1990s, countless country music acts, and more. Meanwhile, back in South Phillips County, the community of Modoc struggles to be known at all. Here in its entirety is the pride of Modoc, Arkansas, the song Caledonia Mission.
Caledonia Mission from the band's 1968 debut album, Music from Big Pink, featuring Levon Helm of Phillips County and referencing Modoc, also in Phillips County. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Executive producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas, since 1998.